Good afternoon. Let's, uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we just come to this place now because, you know, there's a part of us that when we sing songs like, It is well with our soul, we're saying words that our hearts might not even have caught up with yet. Uh, we are declaring a place we may not be yet. In other words, it may not be well right now. But we are in many ways speaking something into existence as we sing not because we are looking to the temporal world, but because we are looking to the eternal. And so even now, God, we are looking at your eternal word. As we talk about money, many of us, as we've gone through this series, have begun to think only about our bank accounts. But if we would begin to think about the riches of heaven and about the fact that you are a provider, that we would focus on you just for a little while, that you are truly the author and finisher of our faith, then we want to fix our eyes on you. And so even now, God, let's not worry. Let's not worry about everything else. Let's just, right now, just for a little while, let's focus on you. Now, now God, there is no way that a man can persuade men to think about God. There, there has to be the work of the Spirit. So, God, I pray that your Spirit would just fall fresh on us and that you would begin to not only open our hearts, but change us. Change us as we sing about chains being broken. That means that we are in some way incarcerated and we need a savior, someone to release and free us. So we open up ourselves right now to you to release us from the places of bondage that we are in. And God, we just settle in right now and we just rest in what you're going to do and what you are going to say. We ask all this in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Thanks so much for coming out this afternoon. Uh, I do want to make a real quick announcement before we get into the message. Um, on October 4th, we have a vision night. And this vision night is really about all of us being able to be part of the vision that God has laid on this church. And that is to reach all of Brooklyn. And we not just want this to be a plan that some people in the church have. We want this to be an ethic, a part of what all of us are doing. And so really when we say we're reaching the city as a church, we're talking about all of us. We're talking about you. We're talking about partnering together. And so I want you to be able to experience that in your life. So on October 4th, next Sunday, now this is going to sound crazy, but oftentimes, you know, we're very grace oriented as a church and we, we oftentimes don't write, like put pressure, but I do want to apply a little bit of pressure here. If you had another plan next Sunday after church, I'm asking that you would actually change that plan and come to this meeting. Praise the Lord. But here's why. Because the implications are eternal. When we're talking about heaven and hell and people being reached in the city, the implications are eternal. And I want you all to be a part of not hearing a plan from a church, but being a part of the plan that God has laid on this church. Now, I want you to have certain stories like, you know, my story is that, uh, you know, I've told many a times I was in college and I was wilding out. And I remember February 23rd, 1998, I was sitting in my room and I felt that God was calling me into a deeper relationship with him. And I went to class, I want to say about a week later, and I walked into uh, the classroom and I remember I was walking back with a young lady and I remember I said to her, how do you live for God? Now, she had not, like, shared her faith with me or anything. I just said, how do you live for God? And she ended up talking me through the first steps of beginning to walk with the Lord. That woman is here today, 
Aaron, would you stand up? <laughs> and Aaron began to walk me through my faith. She was a, a model, an example for me. And I could have been sitting next to anyone in class, but God put her next to me. But here's the thing. God has put you next to people as well. God has placed you next to people. And it wasn't because she was just this radical, you know, person with the, with the cross of Jesus Christ and just brought up Jesus every conversation. She just let her light shine. And the Lord used it. And I just pray that you have stories like that. And so as we talk about our vision night, we want you, we want to equip you to have many stories and bring many people into the fold. So that's next Sunday after church. I pray that you are able to be a part of that. And again, I pray that you're able to make your plans for that. All right. So we've been talking about money. <laughs> and as we've been talking about money, you know, we're pressing into your bank account. And, and what we've said is in this series on the cash rules, what we've said is we believe that God is the architect of life. We believe that God has a blueprint for life. We believe that God's word is able to lay out all of life. And if we believe that, if we believe that God is the architect of life, we believe that God has something to say about money. And if God has something to say about money, we ought to follow it because we believe that he is trustworthy. So um, this is really about following certain rules, which are really God's words on money. Now, the first thing we said was rule number one was follow the money, that you need to follow where your finances are going that you need to have some kind of sense of tracking your money each week, each month, and, and you look after it. Now, I share this with you, that recently I've lost weight. Praise the Lord. And how did I do that? Part of it was I started tracking what I ate. And as I started tracking what I ate, I saw that I had poor eating habits. And as I started seeing I had poor eating habits, it began to change the effect of the scale as I, as I stepped on the scale. I'm telling you, some of us have bad spending habits. And we do these things consistently and we don't keep in mind and actually we're not tracking what we are spending. But if we would take time to track the way that we are spending our money, one of the things we'll find is, man, there are certain things we don't need. And so let's begin to track our money. And that's not even a deep spiritual principle, but the spiritual principle that we did bring out of that was that Jesus said, if you follow your money, in other words, where your treasure is, your heart is also. So if you begin to look at your bank account, if you look at your statement, you're going to see that there are some things that you have affections for. Your treasure and your heart are linked together. Rule number two, we said was to honor God. This was a few weeks ago, two weeks ago. We had a Rich preach last week. He did an incredible job. I pray you get a chance to listen to the podcast. But um, this past uh, two weeks ago, we did uh, honoring God. And, and really what we said is if you had to sum up the goal of money, what would you say that it is in one statement? And we said many of us might feel that it's to make all that we can, or we feel it's, it might be to spend all that we can. But the reality of the goal of money is to honor God. And we look back in, in Chronicles and we saw that God was over everything. And if he is over everything, if everything belongs to God and is distributed by God, then he is the landlord of the earth and we're renting everything. And, and, I, and what I asked was, how big is your everything? How much do you think God is really over? 
Is he truly over every eye blink or every heartbeat or every breath that is breathed? If he is doing that, then every breath is rented from him and every heartbeat is rented and every eye blink is rented. Everything is his and the implications of that are on my money. And the implications are on the opportunities that God gives me. And so we talked about first and foremost, the goal is not just to give a percentage to God. The goal is to see all of it as God's, that all of money is God's. And if I were to give him back anything, it's only, in fact, I, I need him to, to bless him. I need money from him and it is his. And so we said those two rules were the beginning. Now, the implications of honoring God means we have to talk about debt. We have to talk about the way that debt works in our lives. And this really follows suit. Like if you ask the first question, am I watching my money? Uh, prayerfully, you've actually been taking this series not just as something to hear, but to apply to your life. So hopefully you've looked back at your bank statement and like, man, am I, I need to start looking at my money. And you've looked at it. And then from there, you, you not only looked at your money, but then you said to yourself, man, you, you lift it up. I told you, lift up your bank statement and say, it's all yours, God. And so if you do those two things, the next implication of looking at your debt won't be so hard. So now, debt. Today we are going to talk about debt and the, the debt culture that we, we live in. You know, both Natasha and I, by God's grace, were able to get discipled in money early on. Now, I grew up like most of you. I grew up hearing about how I need to make money, but I didn't hear a lot about how to manage money. You see, so when you hear when that when you create that as a culture, how to make money, but not how to manage it, you get people working hard to get finances, but they really don't know what to do with it. Well, that's how we were in 2001. We were part of a church and uh, by God's grace, there was a woman in that church. Her name was Brenda and Miss Brenda actually began to teach us how to budget our money. She had a budget ministry. So she would sit my wife and I down. This was before we were married. She sat us down. And uh, I remember I would, you know, we would go to Chick-fil-A and she would sit me down and she would ask me what my budget was. And so I went through my budget and then she would create envelopes. And in those envelopes, I would put cash in there. And whatever cash I put in the envelope, there would be like a, a savings envelope. There was a, um, uh, an entertainment envelope. There was a food envelope. And so we put cash in all those envelopes. And then my wife did it as well. And so we called it our envelope system. And that's the way we used money. Now, as time went on, we weren't able to keep up with the envelope system as much. It was really challenging. But something, a principle that we learned from the envelope system. There would be days when I would want to go get a hot dog. And I would go into the envelope. I want no money in the, in the envelope. <laughs> and because there was no money in the envelope, guess what? I couldn't get a hot dog. I would have to go home and make something. And the principle that we learned from that envelope system was, if I can't afford it, I can't afford it. You see, that was something we learned early on as a family, just by the way we were discipled and trained up. So then, so then life went on, right? And, you know, we got a house and we had mortgage debt and then we had school and school debt. And so we're paying off our debt. And we're like, this is really difficult. But then we fell into what many of us fall into as we moved into the house. We're like, we need some furniture. Okay. Need some furniture. You can't have the house without furniture. Okay. So we move in, we need furniture and they say, just, for, you know, get this card. And so we're moving in and we're looking at the furniture. We're like, we need furniture. So we get this card 
and $4,000 worth of furniture there gets moved into our house. And we looked at each other and we thought to ourselves, what do we do now? And by God's grace, my wife thought to herself, you know, I never want to get comfortable with this debt. I don't want to live in this. I know that there's debt that's going to take us a while to pay off, but if we can pay this off, let's pay this off now. And by God's grace, my wife really was a great steward of getting us to pay aggressively the debts that we had. And so in one year, we paid that off. And then we just started applying that to everything. All the cars we've ever had, we've bought with cash. Every car. And so we've never made debt a lifestyle for us, ever. If we have debt, it's school, it's housing, but it's never consumer debt till we can live a life, a lifestyle that we can't afford. Now, I can feel the conviction in the room, praise God. <laughs> I don't want to front like I don't like stuff. I'm enamored by stuff. I love stuff. I see stuff and I want it. Um, the other day, my boy, you know, he had gotten back from vacation. I'm like, where'd you go? He's like, Paris. Paris, huh? <laughs> Paris. Saw the tower. Yeah. Where'd you go? Connecticut. <laughs> Went on the turnpike. You know what I'm saying? This is, I mean, this is not a joke. This is real talk. Like, our last two vacations have been to Jersey and Connecticut. This is what we do. Do you think I, do you think I like bringing that up? Do you think I like saying, we're killing the tri-state area for vacation. That's not what I want. I want to go to Europe. I want to go places. I want to do stuff. I want to go on a cruise. Yeah, praise God. Thank you. Hey, listen. Y'all like this jacket? You like this jacket? You like these pants? You like this? You know what I'm saying? I waited a year to get this stuff. I mean... I wanted this a long time ago. And, and what I'm saying is, so I don't want to make myself out to be super spiritual. I can up my standard of living, driving, traveling, and entertainment instantly with the use of debt. You can up your standard of living instantly. When you work your way there and save your way there, save your way there it moves slow. But when you get debt, it moves fast. And that speed is what is so attractive. And, 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 and you, there is a part of you that when you feel the need and, and, and you want to speed up, there's a part of you that feels like you deserve it. I deserve a vacation. I deserve Paris. And I feel like I do. But I can't afford it. And so my dreams in my pocket don't line up. And debt allows that. Debt allows you to live dreams instantly, even though you can't afford it. Now, what I want to be clear about is this. this. I've said this all the time. This series is not about getting something from you. This is about getting something for you. This is so God can bless you. This is so that you can live in deeper obedience and that you can experience God in a new way. So why don't we just look at what God says about debt? Why don't we just see what he says and I think that that will open up our eyes in a new way. In Deuteronomy, God has been using his people, Israel, in order to bless nations. And in Deuteronomy, as he was establishing this 
Israel, the people of God, there were certain conditional promises that he had. And they were conditioned on Israel's obedience. And he would bless their land and their children and their crops. Now, when I say blessing, all I'm saying is that God would demonstrate his hand in their life. It would be the demonstrated favor of God in their life. That what, what, that's what a blessing was. So God would demonstrate his favor on their life. And one sign of blessing was the ability to lend money but not have to borrow it. It was a picture of God's blessing in God's hand. And so we see in Deuteronomy 28 and 12, it reads like this. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but you will borrow from none. Notice how the text goes. The Lord's going to open up heavens and there's a storehouse of bounty. He, he's longing to bless you. And one of the things that's going to happen is you're going to be able to offer other people things as a picture of him. You will be blessed in order to be a blessing to other people. And intrinsically, because you have a generous God and you are his people, you will be a generous people. And you will loan and you won't borrow. And that's what it, the culture was to be for Israel. And really, in our country, in America, our, our culture wasn't always a debt culture. In many ways, we were a culture that didn't really believe in debt. If... Um, you know, you were growing up back in the day, if you wanted like a washing machine and you couldn't afford it, what you would do is you would say it was $1,100 for the next 11 months. You would pay $100 a month in order to get the washing machine. And what we called was putting it on layaway. All right. And so and this is and this is the wild part. Like you would pay that money and then you'd walk into Sears or wherever and you'd get a brand new washing machine, all clean and nice, and you bring it home, and there's a sense of accomplishment, like, yeah, look, I paid it off, it's mine. But now, with debt, like, the by the time you get done paying off whatever you have, first of all, you don't even know where it is anymore. <laughs> it's dirty and old or someplace else, because you got it immediately. But you, we never have taken the time to think that it's not really mine yet. That's the whole point of debt. It's not actually mine yet because I'm still paying it off, but I get to use it while paying it off. That's a new shift in the culture. It wasn't always that way. Now, the reason debt is a concern to God then and a concern to God now isn't just the blessing component. It is also the way that you live your life. King Solomon was the richest man on earth. And he is able to have a very clear picture of what money is like. And he says in Proverbs 22 and 7, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. That verse right there changed the way that my wife and I thought about debt. Now, I don't have to teach you that the rich rule over the poor. You see that, right? The rich are on top, the poor are on bottom. But here's the thing to be clear about. He says... The, 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 the borrower is a slave to the lender. Now, that imagery of a slave, it's not like when you borrow, you see chains and you become a slave and you, you're in the movie Roots or anything like that. That's not what, exactly what happens. You know the imagery that he's saying? Control. 
The minute that you become indebted to someone or some entity, there is a level of control they now have on you. That you are not completely in control of your finances anymore. They have a say in your pocket because you owe them money. And that's the way that it works. And there's a part of us that gets frustrated with whenever somebody controls this. Isn't that right? You get frustrated. And that doesn't matter if it's $500,000, $50,000, or $5. I was in college. And while in college, my friend asked me for $5. I said, cool, because we're friends. Here's $5. I see him a week later. What did I want to know? Where's my $5? But that's all, you know, it's, not, it's no biggie. I mean, I gave it to you, so, you know, it wasn't a gift. It was a borrow because I was broke. So I asked him for my $5. He didn't give it to me. He's like, man, just, you know what I'm saying? I just... I can't, okay, fine, no biggie, we cool. A week later, I see him, hey man, <laughs> do you have that $5? No, nah, man, I, I don't have, I don't, I don't have five, I don't have it. Okay, cool, man. So as a good friend, I let it go. I don't wanna, you know, we don't have to talk about it, we don't have to bring it up, I don't wanna be, you know, I don't, I don't wanna hound you. So a month goes by, no problem, I see him, hey man, do you have my $5? And this is what trips me out. He got mad at me. He was like, why do you keep asking me for my money? Why, I mean, come on now, leave me alone. It's just, it's just $5. And in my head, I'm like, it's just my $5. How, is, how, how are you mad at me over my money? But the same principle that applies to him, I see happening to all people all the time. Bill collectors calling my house because you owe money. Because you owe them money. You owe them money. That's why they're calling you. I mean, people act like it's Satan. That's not Satan. That was you. <laughs> How you go get mad? You weren't mad when you asked. How are you mad now? But you know what you're mad at? You're mad that you let them have control over your life. What you're angry at is the control. You're angry that you, when, they, when, you, when they look at you, there's a sense where it's just awkward. The reason why some of us avoid those calls is because it, it feels a weight and a burden on you. But you're running from a responsibility. And so there, there is a level of control. And so when he says slave, don't, don't try to pretty up the image. It's talking about control. Now, the other reason debt is a concern to God is because more times than not, the reason why we're in debt is not because we had a need. More times than not, we are in debt because we lacked self-control. And if it is an issue of self-control, that means it's a character issue. It's a spiritual issue. It's not just a financial issue. That imagery of saying, I just have to have it started working on you. And what's incredible is that before you even knew there was an it to have, you weren't concerned about it. But the minute you saw it, whatever it is, now you feel like you have to have it. And we begin to just be primped and prodded by these different materialistic things. And what ends up happening is those things end up having control over us. And either you are gonna have control over you 
or credit will have control over you. Proverbs 25 and 28. Solomon says it this way in Proverbs 25 and 28. He says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Man, the imagery of that is crazy. Because what it's saying is like this person has a kingdom and they're a king and they have a wall that keeps people out of the kingdom, but someone broke through the wall and took them hostage. But what's crazy is when people walk by the wall and see the kingdom, people go, man, look at the kingdom. That's so nice. Not knowing on the inside of the kingdom, that person is bound up because someone has taken control of them. And that's how debt works. People are like, man, that's a nice car. You're like, you like it? You like it? You like it? Not knowing that you are bound up. Not knowing that you owe somebody on that. And we front. You know what I used to do? I used to rent a car and I used to spe- uh, take the sticker off. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Anybody know that? Okay, I did it. You know what I'm saying? I took, you know, it would have like, it would have like enterprise. And I take it off and I'm like, yeah, this is mine. But it's not mine. I'm just renting it. I'll own it. And the the imagery is when you lack self-control, when you are impulsive, it looks like you have a kingdom, but you're really in bondage in your own kingdom. And what, what debt does is it takes advantage of your impulsivity. It takes advantage of that thing inside of you that feels like you have to have. Now, I, I want to be incredibly practical about this because I realize that many of us have grown up in a debt culture and maybe not have even thought about this before. But the, one of the largest implications, maybe one of the largest negative implications about debt is that it impacts your ability to be generous. And this is the thing, you know, the, everything I've said to you right now, you can get on some money management show. There's, there's a book out there, and there's a person that don't even know Jesus, nothing, says everything I just said. But this last part is the part that shows distinction as believers. <clears throat> when you're not able to be generous, you really can't fulfill everything God has for you in your life. This is, this is, this is, I talk to people and they're generous in their minds, but they can't be generous from their pocket, right? Like they want to be generous. They want to be able to give to people. They want to be able to help people, but they can't. And you know why they can't? It's, it's kind of crazy. It's odd. And it's probably odd to you that you can't give more to people in need because you owe on things you don't need. Isn't that wild? And if it's odd to you, it's definitely odd to God. Deep in your heart, you're like, man, I want to be more giving, but you can't because there's a part of you that took in things. And so this is this is why And I told you we talked last time about the verse in Luke about you can't serve two masters. This is how it works. God nudges you to give. Visa nudges you to pay. And guess who wins? Visa every time. Because Visa's right there. They're like, hello. And you're like, God, you know, you love me. You got grace. God is prodding on you to be generous, prodding on you to give, but you can't. And it's just a theory because there's a cu- culture of greed 
There's a culture of greed that often we've bought into. And the culture of greed is just based upon the fact that we see things. And the, the distance between want it and get it is very short now. And so we have to have it. And it's just like that new phone, I got to have it. Because, you know, I got a lot of things I do. And we start reprioritizing our lives around what we want. And the priorities of God are not there. And this is, this is, the, this is the imagery it, it, it reads in Acts 20 and 35. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So we have a culture of receive. Get it now. Get what you want now. But God is saying, no, you will experience a greater sense of blessing when you are a giver. And when you experience generosity to others. And so this is what God is pulling on us, prodding us to do. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just be practical here in just a second, but this is what I got, you got to hear me say. This is not a financial issue. This is a spiritual issue. This is a spiritual issue from God, and God's Word is speaking to us. And we want to be able to be obedient to Him because anywhere in God's Word, anywhere in God's Word, obedience brings blessing. And disobedience will bring some kind of chastisement. Obedience always brings blessing. And so we, many of us want to be obedient in every other place. But we keep our financial world a secret. But if you would be obedient and trust him here, and I said this the other week, that God says, Jesus Christ says more about money than heaven or hell combined in the Bible. Because it has so many implications. It tells us so much more about who you are. And by the fact that many of us have never heard a sermon on this and we don't want to talk about this, it leaves us in bondage. And there's so much freedom. There's so much freedom we have when we live in obedience. And so I want us to have courage and commit in your mind, as I get ready to tell you these practical implications, I, you, just, you just have to make a decision. I want to be obedient no matter what. You just have to make that decision. And it, right now, when we talk about money, it may feel like I can't do it. But, 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 but if we operate in the power of God and just trust the Lord, if we just trust the Lord with these things I'm going to tell you, I promise you that God will step in and bless your life. Let me give you, before I, before I say this, um, there was a guy on campus, his name was Rick, and <clears throat> Rick, Rick was, uh, he, he was a light-skinned guy, and he had light eyes, girls loved him, and he, came, he gave his life to Christ, and I began to disciple him, I began to, you know, pour my life into him, and I remember Rick came to me, and Rick was like, man, what's the, what, what can I do to take the next step of obedience in my life? And I said, Rick, I'm going to be honest with you, man. You know, the Bible says in Matthew 7, if you look after a woman and lust in her heart, you've already committed adultery with her. He was like, what'd you say? I was like, okay, this is the way it works. The Bible is saying that if you look at a woman and you just start to lust after her, it's like you've already committed adultery. <laughs> I'll never forget. Rick said, and we were outside and there were a bunch of girls walking around at the time. And he was like, all this fine, I just can't look at, just all this, I can't. I was like... I mean, it's, it's, man, just take your eyes off that for a second. What he's saying is he wants to preserve you. He wants to preserve your eyes for the one he set apart for you. And if you would just let go, I know the culture tells you, I know all the music is telling you one thing, and I sound crazy right now. I sound crazy right now. But if you would just 
focus on God's word and be obedient to it, it will, it will, there will bear fruit in your life. Now, Rick, I see his family. I talk to him. And you know what he says 15 years later, James, thank you so much. I had never heard anyone say that to me in my life. And now, I, you know, my wife, she thanks you because it's, it's kept me away from all those things that everyone around me was doing. You know, the way bondage works is that everyone celebrates certain things and you'll be different. And so in the same way I use that imagery around lust, I'm saying there are things we lust after financially that are constantly coming our way and there may be people around you celebrating it and you're saying to yourself, all this stuff, all these clothes, all these cars, all these opportunities. But if we were to focus on God's word and just see what he is saying to us. So I just want us to lock in and just see if we can be obedient to what he is laying out before us. This week, if you are a part of a city group, or if you're not a part of a city group, I pray you get a part of one. This week, I would love for you guys to come together and begin to talk about debt. You will not need to say what your specific debt is, but what I would love to see is for all of us to go to our city groups and actually confess our debt on a piece of paper, and then the city group leader is actually going to compile all the debt and see where you all are at as a group debt-wise. Now, I was a part of a church that did this one time. So it's going to be anonymous so you don't trip out. But I'm just saying we, everybody in the group will say where they're at debt-wise. Now, I was a part of a church and they did this. And I love the way the pastor said it. He said, as a church, we are $2 million in debt. And when you hear me, you think I'm saying as an organization, I'm saying when you look out into the crowd, we are $2 million in debt. And everybody was like, wow. And so they formulated smaller groups and people began to confess their debt to one another. And as they started confessing their debt, they started making plans to get out of debt. And what happened? God blessed them. And many of those people got out of debt quicker than they could have possibly imagined. Some people ended up getting bonuses. Other people got tax returns. Other people just blessed them with money they didn't anticipate having. But God accelerated the process of getting them out of debt because they were aggressively working towards obedience. And so I want to encourage you not to just hear my words and not take action. I want to encourage you to trust the Lord by getting together with people and actually making a plan. Because many times these are things that we all celebrate. I pastored a church in Raleigh, North Carolina. The church was filled with bankers. And it was actually the center where Bank of America is. All these people who are so fiscally intelligent. And then they would come confessing to me how they're about to file for bankruptcy and all these different things. And I realized then this is not a knowledge issue. This is a spiritual issue. We hold each other accountable for so many different things. But when it comes to money, it's the secret of our life. And that's why many of us live financially in bondage, because we're afraid to tell somebody else where we're at. And I'm saying that we want to formulate some kind of group. You don't have to tell everybody in the group who you are specifically, but write down on a piece of paper where you are in debt. And I'm telling you where confession is, you are saying, God, I want you to speak in. And so this church, they did that and, and people began to see blessing and people began to get out of that debt. I want to lay out for you a, a plan. And it's, it's five easy, 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 easy steps 
that will take lots of courage. But you cannot live comfortably in debt and be in the will of God. You hear me? You cannot live comfortably in debt and be in the will of God at the same time. When you are constantly placing yourself in debt, you are constantly taking away resources that God may want to use for other means. And so today, we want to just put our money up before the Lord and say to the Lord, do with it whatever you want. And if you have stuff left over, yes, then you want to be able to have some freedoms. But you want the Lord to speak into your financial situation. So here's a few things. The first thing is commit to being debt-free. Make that commitment in your life. Say, I will not make debt a part of the culture of my life. I will not make debt something that I do, you know, just happenstance or it, it won't be easy. I am not going to become a person that's constantly indebted. Make that commitment to the Lord and to yourself. And as I said, we're going to come together as a city group and, and talk about these things. Secondly, pay the smallest debt you have right now aggressively. Or pay the one, <clears throat> pay the one that makes you most mad. Pay one of them. Pay one of them to the point where you can have a sense of accomplishment that you actually paid it off. People live in minimum life, where you pay the minimum on everything, thinking that you are getting over, when in reality you are keeping yourself in bondage for, the whole, for your whole life. Rather, take the smallest debt you have and say to yourself or to your wife, we are gonna pay this off. And we're gonna try to pay this off in a year. And that means that we can't go on and do certain things but we will pay off that debt. Thirdly, don't get new debt. I said, this is all logical, people. Don't, don't do number one. I'm not going to do new. I'm not going to have any more debt. I'm no. And then I, I, I added this one because I preached this before. I added this one because people trip me out. If you're going to commit to no debt, then don't get new debt. Okay. <laughs> Lastly. Talk to your creditors. The people that you owe money, tell them, for instance, you, it may be that you need to pay more down on something than another. And you may say to them, they may say to you, we want $500 a month or $300, I gotta remember my crowd, $25 a month, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> they say they want, they want $30 a month, right? And you're like, I can only pay 15. They're gonna take your 15. They're gonna take what you can give them. I mean, you pay what you can pay, but aggressively pay down something, and that might mean you need to lower something else. And you, and you should work this out with other people and think this out, but aggressively pay down something and talk to the people you owe, because you owe them money. You owe them, and it's theirs. And if you will follow this plan, and you will trust God over this plan, you will see more freedom in your life. <clears throat> Jesus, Jesus, Jesus dies for our sin. 
And we were indebted to him. And I love the story of the gospel because in the gospel, there Jesus is on the cross and he says, it is finished. And as he says, it is finished, you know what he's actually saying. The word tetelestai is saying it's paid for. And as Jesus dies on the cross for our sins and pays our sin debt, he is wanting to release a people who are free spiritually to bless other people and to be able to proclaim the gospel to a world. But he not only wants us to be spiritually free, he wants us to be financially free. Financially free to bless others. Now, we are, we are going to... Uh, we are going to take some time right now and we're going to come before the Lord. But I pray that this is not something that as you hear my words, you walk out of here and not make a plan. Don't walk out of here and not make a plan. Make an aggressive plan to honor God in your finances. If I were talking about lust, some of you would feel so much conviction that you know you would have to respond. If I was talking about something sexual or something big, what we call the big sins. Hello, this is a big sin. And, and oftentimes preachers are afraid to talk about it because they don't want to make it seem like they're selling you like some late night oil on TV so that you can bless them for like a G6 so they can fly over someplace. And so, so we don't talk about it or we talk about it too much. But what if we just allow God's word to speak? What if you made a plan? What if you opened up your account and said, God, deal with me, deal with this. And in many ways, we will see God move in ways that you cannot imagine. And he will open up his storehouse. And I'm not saying he's going to just open up and do things financially. I'm just saying he will bless your life. He will bless your life. So I want to take a second to pray. Heavenly Father, as we sing songs like, It Is Well, as we sing songs like It Is Well. We want to be able to just right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we lift up our finances to you, God. And we confess. We confess to you, Lord. There are areas that we have kept secret. There are impulses of greed, impulses that we can't pretend about anymore. Father, I pray for a spirit of courage in our community, and I pray, God, that we would not hide from this. I pray we would look at the issue of debt, dead in the eye, and we would make a commitment before you that we want to be a generous people. We want to be able to bless people. And God, I pray that even now, even now in this room, that we would not be afraid of just lifting up our 
credit card to you and saying, God, forgive me. That there are certain things in our life and in our homes that we would just say, God, I didn't even consult with you about this. I just did this because I felt like I needed it. Maybe we just need to confess, God, I have accelerated a lifestyle I should not be living. And I just want you to slow me down, God. Slow me down, God. And I pray, God, that right now, right now we would not be afraid. Because the power of God, the power of God will walk with us and be with us through the Holy Spirit as we look at these areas, but I pray for courage and I pray, God, that you would do things that we could not imagine. Even now, Jesus, even now, as we go into our city groups, as we go into our groups and we're gonna talk this out, I, I just pray against all lying. <laughs> I pray against all pretending. I just pray we don't feel like we have to pretend we're somewhere we're not. Because the last thing we would want is to look like we have a kingdom, but in reality, we're living in bondage in it. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you rise?